Welcome to Books, Kids, and Creations with Tracy Bloom. And I am here today with Jeff Grodke, who is an amazing author, screenwriter, and a very well-known person in the writing community. And I'm here with him today a little bit, a little bit, to talk about um, some of the work that he's put out recently among um, some of his very popular titles and screenplays. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks. Very glad to be here. Yeah. So thank you for being here. So you just put out um, this new book called Lights Out in Lincolnwood, and it is rather big and it's large compared to some of the middle grade um, books that you've put out in the past, which are also really incredible. Um, can you talk about how you got the inspiration for your new book? Where did this come from? Because you typically have written for middle grade, correct? Yeah, sure. So um Lights Out in Lincolnwood, which is, it's a, it's a story, uh, you know, I like to think of it as it's about the apocalypse in New Jersey. It's a, it's a dark comedy of, that follows a family of four in a very privileged suburb uh, of, of New York City, right across the river uh, in, in New Jersey, over the, the three days after the entire technological infrastructure of, uh, you know, of modern society suddenly collapses on a random Tuesday morning. And uh, it's... So it's you know basically every everything that has a um, that has a circuit board whether it's uh, you know phones laptops uh, the entire power grid any car manufactured after about 1975 because they all have electric starters everything just stops working and um, and in the context of the story with the family can't figure out if this is temporary in which case it's just like just a really you know annoying disruption or permanent in which case it may be the end of civilization so. Um, and, and where it really came from was uh, I, I lived through Hurricane Sandy in, in 2012. Uh, and we, I have, a, I have three sons, um, my wife and I, and we live in a, on a, a, a 10th story apartment in lower Manhattan. And we lost power and water for about five days. And it was like we, we were very quickly reduced to like almost like, a, like, a, like foraging for food. We, we would have to... Um, you know, we, we couldn't flush the toilets without, without water. So we would have to like, literally every morning we would go down 10 flights of stairs and the, the superintendent in our building had, had busted open a fire hydrant and filled a giant trash barrel with water. And I would carry buckets of water up 10 flights of stairs to flush the toilets. And then once we'd done that, we would get the kids together and we would march them up about like 30 blocks to Midtown where the power was still on and like feed them deli sandwiches and then find friends who we could, whose places we could shower at. And then, but then we would always have to make and charge our phones, but we'd have to get back down town before sunset because there was literally like no power in the street. So it was almost like Omega Man. It was just this kind of, you know, by the time the sun went down, it was, you, you just really didn't want to be out. Not, not mostly because you just couldn't see anything. Anyway, so, and all of this, as it was going on, I felt totally useless because I just, you know, I don't have, I, I, I consider myself very capable in a lot of areas, but, um, uh, providing food and water if I can't buy it is 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 kind of challenging, and 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 I we never worried during Hurricane Sandy that this was going to be permanent, but um, you know, but ever since then I've kind of been haunted by this idea of like what would happen if this if the power outage was more widespread or it lasted longer, and so right. that was basically where where the book came from, and the which is an extraordinarily long answer to a very short question. No, it's great, though, because 
I mean, I, having lived in Florida for a few years, I mean, I was down there when Hurricane Irma came through and it's terrifying. And it's interesting how situations that are so traumatizing for us can be the spark of something fantastic like this book you just put out. Well, thanks. Yeah, it, it was it was also, you know, um, I, I felt like in the wake of it, I had I had kind of had had two options for dealing with with the, the associated fears that it had brought up. And one of them was to actually figure out how my family would survive in a situation like that. And which probably meant buying land somewhere upstate and, you know, digging a well and, you know, acquiring firearms. And then the other, the other idea was just, well, why don't I just write a book about it and, and take all of this sort of fear and put it onto fictional characters. So that was how I wound up dealing with it, which was probably maladaptive over the long term, but in the short term, it was a lot less hassle than, you know, getting a prepper compound in upstate New York. Right, right. And I love your, the characters that are in your story are so interesting. And um, I, there are just moments where I found myself just laughing out loud while I was reading it at just some of their quirks and some of their things that they say and they do. Specifically, um, you know, the one character, Dan, he's kind of like this struggling screenwriter and he's sitting there on the subway trying to come up with storylines and he's looking at people and coming up with these plot lines of what their backstories could be for his next meeting. And I just thought, I wonder if Jeff did that. Like, it, I just thought, I wonder how men, how much of these characters you shared some kind of similar experience with. I've done, I mean, over the course of my career, I think I've done versions of that, both with random strangers who I encounter and also just people I know really well. Uh, I, I will say in, 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 for that book, it was, you know, Dan is, is traveling when the power outage happens. He's on a New Jersey transit commuter train coming into, uh, from, you know, from suburban New Jersey into New York city. And I actually, as part of the research for the book, I wrote that line about, I think about three times during, during rush hour, during the same period of time, he, he would have done it. And I'm pretty sure Almost all, if maybe all of the characters in the book were actual people I had seen on that line. So that was one of those. It's always easier to just, you know, to just observe something in reality and write it down than to completely make something up out of whole cloth. So right. a lot of those, a lot of those characters were actual, were just, they were people who were riding the New Jersey transit rail on the same day I was. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. And I was going to ask about your inspiration too. Uh, I mean, because as a writer, I'm sure you've been writing for a really long time. So when did you first start realizing your passion for writing and how has that evolved into what it is now? It, it kind of started um, about sophomore year of high school uh, because I started, I started writing for my high school newspaper. You know, and at first I wrote the same articles everybody writes for their school paper, which is like, articles about scholarships that are so boring that even the kid who won the scholarship doesn't want to read the article. Um, but, but the thing about a high school newspaper is there's, there's, there's almost never enough news in, in, a, in your average high school to fill the paper. So there was, you know, we were constantly having like struggling just to fill the space. And, and one month just to kind of fill up, you know, empty space on the editorial page, I wrote this article. Um, and the premise of it was basically like, you know, do you watch, you ever watch Looney Tunes cartoons? Uh, yes. Yeah. So it was like, you know, you know, like Roadrunner and Coyote. Yes. So the premise of this article was what if 
the coyote actually caught the roadrunner. And and so I, I wrote the article, it was just to fill space, and you know, I thought it was funny, and and other kids did too, and, it was, and they came, kids came up to me in the hallway the day the newspaper came out, and they were like, hey, that thing you wrote about the roadrunner, that was really funny. And I had never, I did not to that point in my life get a whole lot of positive feedback from my peers. <laughs> and so the idea that I, I could create something, I could put it out in the world and other people would like it and then would give me the feedback that they enjoyed it was like, that was the life changing thing. And, and so like, you know, I think, you know, some people get involved in writing because they're, they're trying to, you know, it's about self-expression or it's, you know, it, it's about figuring something out in the world. And, and for me, it was just this kind of like the good news, bad news. It was a little bit of like a, I just wanted to have that feeling of getting patted on the head and told the thing that I wrote was good. And, and it was a powerful enough kind of, you know, feeling that I literally, I've been doing it for like 35 years. Wow. That's, that's basically where it started. And so with some of your early work, have you ever gone back and um, rewrote anything that you wrote, you know, when you first got started or revisited anything like that? Nothing real. Well, it's funny because I wrote um, a few, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book. It was a, it's a middle grade children's book called We're Not From Here, which is yes. somewhere on that. There it is right there. Um, and it was about a family of humans who immigrate to an alien planet after Earth has been destroyed. And the problem they have is that they get to the planet and the aliens have changed their mind about opening their society to a, a species that just destroyed its own planet, right? But, um, so, but it, it starts out, they're in sort of a, the equivalent of a refugee camp on Mars. And after that came out, um, one of the kids who I grew up with was like, hey, did you just rip off that thing we wrote in fifth grade? And I remembered... We had written in fifth grade, we wrote a, like me and like two or three other kids, we wrote a play together about like, it was about a mission to Mars and this, like these, you know, this, this, this spaceship crew goes to Mars and, the, you know, and they run into these aliens there. And I had like no, I, I'd, I'd forgotten about that. And I was like, oh my God, I'm literally, I'm just like ripping myself off from 30 years ago. Other than that, I don't really, I don't really go back and revisit stuff that i mean there, except except for like failed I, i'm actually writing a novel right now that is um kind of grew up from the ashes of a failed part partial novel from about four or five years ago hmm. so i'll do that occasionally but like once i've actually if i've actually finished something i don't really i don't usually go back and, and look at it again yeah and you've also written many screenplays as well and well-known movies, you know, Daddy Daycare, RV. How did you make the transition from writing? Was it books first and then into screenplays or have you always kind of dabbled in both? No, it was, it was actually, it was screenplays first and then, and then books. I, um, what happened was when I, what I really wanted to be was, was like a political satirist. Like when I, cause when I was, when I was writing st stuff for my school newspaper in high school, um, this was the mid 1980s, and there was a writer in Rolling Stone magazine named P.J. O'Rourke, who would write about things like, you know, the 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 Marcos dictatorship in the Philippines, but he or like a hostage crisis in Beirut, but he would write about them in like a funny way, and that was really what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to write was basically political satire. The problem was when I, you know, when I got out of college and I started trying to make a living writing, I realized there were like less than five people in America who had that job. 
And like anytime you're trying to get into an industry in which there are less than five people in it, you're probably going to fail. Right. So like, so I eventually realized like that was not a sustainable way to make a living. Um, And this was a point by this point, it was like the early mid nineties. And um, there was a large market at that point, or at least a larger market than there is now for, for, for spec screenplays, which was like people would write screenplays and then they would sell them to movie studios sometimes for kind of a lot of money. Hmm. And, and it, it seemed, you know, it seemed like a, a, a pretty cool thing to do. So I wrote a screenplay and it was terrible. And then I wrote another screenplay. And it was also terrible. And then I wrote a third screenplay and it was not terrible. And I was able to sell that to universal pictures. And I had also at that point, I'd been like trying to sell, you know, I'd been occasionally like selling magazine articles to places like, like George magazine, which no longer exists. There was a, a team magazine called Quake, which also no longer exists. And, and I, I got paid for that first screenplay I sold to Universal and they never made the movie because movie studios at this point, they would buy about 20 screenplays for every, for every one they made, literally. Yeah. Um, they never made the movie, but I got paid like, I think, I think literally a thousand times more than I got paid for the magazine, the last magazine article I'd sold. Oh. So I was like, I'm, I'm a screenwriter now. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was what, that was essentially what, so that was what I did for, you know, for a living for about, um, 10 or 15 years. And then at some point the film business changed in ways that they just stopped making the kind of movies I made. So a movie like daddy daycare or RV, which are, you know, PG movies that you could bring the entire family to, uh, they just stopped getting made. Um, and they, they just stopped being the thing. And so I, I was like, I kind of need, still need to make a living. Like, like at this point I had three kids and, th- and they eat a lot. Right. So there was, it was just like, I needed, I needed money for food. So I had to keep writing something and writing screenplay seemed like it wasn't going to keep working out. So I was like, well, I'd love to write a book because I'd never written, I'd never written a book. I'd always wanted to write a book. And, and I, I used to think of myself, like when I was, you know, back when I started wanting to be a writer, I thought I would, I would write books and they would be for adults. And I never, but I'd never did it because I just sort of got, sidetracked into other things and so i yeah, i remember i like i kind of went to barnes and noble and i was like well what kind of book would i write that people would actually want to buy and you know and i write i base i'm a comedy writer right and i looked around barnes and noble and the only place there were a lot of like comp like funny books was in the children's section mm-hmm. there was like there are not it's actually really hard to get adults to read comedy and comedy in novels doesn't necessarily always work that well. And even when it does, it's the, there isn't that big an audience for it. But like the middle grade kids section was like full of comedy. And so I was like, okay, that's probably, and also at that point I had kids who were all about, you know, they were all in that eight to 12 year old age range. So, so I, I basically, I, I started writing kids books for, for eight to 12 year olds because I had eight to 12 year olds and I kind of, so I, I almost had like a focus group in my own house and I also had plenty of raw material. And, um, and that was what I wound up doing for about 10 years until really, until my kids got old enough that they, you know, they're now they're all sort of the youngest one is 16. So they've kind of aged out of it completely. And I don't have any interaction with that age group, which is a big part of the reason I wound up writing lights out in Lincolnwood, because I mean, not only had I always wanted to write for adults and I'd never really done it. I, I also was kind of, creatively I felt like I was kind of, I'd said everything I needed to say to mm. the, the kind of middle grade audience or almost everything. I'm writing one more middle grade kids book. 
Um, and then there's one more sort of in the pipeline that's going to come out. But I think after that, I may mostly be done with that age group. Huh. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you feel like you have a little bit more freedom with writing for adults. I would think, you know, as far as um, verb, the vocabulary and things you're allowed to say and scenarios and violence and it's, that type of thing. It's, it's much easier in that respect. Like there's... Um, you know, writing, like, I, I feel like I'm writing more in my natural voice when I'm writing for adults. Like with, when I'm writing a kid's book, I'm almost always like, as I go along and then sometimes I'll go through and just take an entire pass through a manuscript. That's literally just this sort of sentence structure and vocabulary pass where I will take like compound sentences with dependent clauses and I'll just make them simple sentences or I'll take out, you know, if it's a word that a lot of kids aren't going to know, I'll take that, you know, I'll replace it with, simpler words and it's sort of so it's always been kind of a little bit a little bit limiting in that respect i will say though otherwise um you know there are constraints for um, for any category of writing right. and particularly if you're trying to be thoughtful in terms of you know i think there's always kind of a like i'm always looking for the, the point of overlap in the venn diagram between what i really really want to write and what i think people will want to read and or pay money for <laughs> And so there's all, there's always a little bit of like, if, you, if you're thinking about that, about your audience, which again, the whole reason I started this was because I wanted to have an audience for, I, I wanted that feedback of the, you know, the feeling of creating something and having other people enjoy it. And you're thinking about what, what they want. Like there's actually like, there are, you know, there are specific genres within, within adult publishing that in some ways can be as constricting as, you know, as writing for middle grade kids. Uh, so it's yeah, it's there. It, it, you, you do it. You have complete freedom as a writer, but that doesn't necessarily mean what you write is necessarily going to get published. Right. Yeah. Well, so if you're trying to think if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to be mindful of that, there is a little bit, you, you know, almost any even writing for adults can be constricted. Right. Yeah. And do you foresee or have you already written? the screenplay for lights out in Lincoln in Lincoln Lincoln wood <laughs> uh, I haven't, we there isn't a screenplay yet I'm, I've been working with a producer um, but we haven't we haven't set it up yet it's sort of we're still in the kind of early stages of trying to you know trying to attack attract talent to it which is because you know the, the film industry even I mean they're all businesses but the film industry in particular is like making a movie is like a multi, you know, tens of millions of dollars investment. And so people don't want to make that investment without knowing like things like who's going to star in it. And, and, and it's very different from like, you know, in the nineties, you know, when I first started again, you could write a screenplay and sell it to a movie studio without having anyone attached to it. And they would, and then they would figure that out. But in 2021, they kind of want you to bring them a package. So that's, that's the point we're at with the lights out in Lincolnwood is sort of trying to, trying to find the combination of actors that is going to make a studio really want to actually make the movie. That's really good to know. So I'm also trying to write my first screenplay. And I like that you said, you know, you wrote your first one, it was horrible. The next one horrible. And so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so there is a process of going where it's like, not everything you write is going to be perfect the first time. And you can, craft and go back right. and go back and go back and revise it, it, they they never are it's always like um 
and I, I found like them even like as, as as long as I've been doing this, I'm t- capable of just completely falling in my face and screwing things up. Like I uh, I wrote a I wrote a, the first time I adapted my, one of my books as a screenplay was was We're Not From Here, the, the story about the family who moves to an alien planet. And um, we sold it. We, you know, we, we, we sold it to a studio and they, they paid me to write it. And I I wrote the first draft and I sent it to the producers and they're like, it's not working because a, B, C, D, E, and F. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. And I, and, and I literally, fortunately we hadn't sent it to the studio yet, but I wound up, before we turned it in, and I think we wound up in a good, with a good screenplay, I rewrote everything except maybe about one or two scenes. It, wow. it was just, it wound up being a completely different story. Huh. And, and that part of that is because like, there are just, movies and books are not the same medium and they have different, you know, not only structurally are they different, but there's other, there's like form ways of telling the story. And there's, there's, there's kinds of stories that don't work as movies. And um, it was a real, you know, it was a real humbling process where I had to like eventually, like I had to throw out almost the entirety of that, of that draft um, and really reinvent it to get to a place where everybody was happy with it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes a lot of, um, I guess, nobility to be able to go in and strip down your work and be able to recreate it into something else, you know, that could be more. It can be be tiring, you know, and especially, I mean, this happens a lot in the film business where you just wind up, like I had another, I have an unproduced screenplay that um, it's never been produced, but it was optioned by one company. And then it was, it was dormant for a while and then it was re-optioned by another company who wanted to make one of the minor characters, the main character. And I like, and I think I, I must've written four or five different, completely different versions of that story. And it's still never been made. So it's, it's like, um, it, but it, but it's, yeah. And you just sort of have to have that patience, but that's also, it also happens with books. Like with, with we're not from here. I, um, I also, this is weird because I did the same thing with the screenplay. I sold a, a manuscript to the publisher and then I let it sit for about six months. It had a very long lead time on it. And then I went back and I looked at it again and I was like, Oh my God, this is terrible. And I rewrote about 90% of that. So I threw out, I threw out like 90% of the manuscript that the editor had even acquired uh, and, and wrote a completely different version of it. Um, so it's just, you know, I, I, I wish I could, like, writing is not the kind of thing where if you do it long enough, you eventually, like, I mean, you you get to a point where you, there are certain major pitfalls that you're, you can avoid, but you still, it's just, it's, it's not a, it's not a batting a thousand kind of a job. You're, you know, you're always screwing up. And the best you can hope, the best you can hope for is that you're working with people and that you have people in your life who can, who can point out to you when something's screwed up. Right. Um, because I can usually, if somebody tells me what's wrong and I sit and like, usually my, my first reaction, if somebody tells me something's wrong is like, is to be like, no, it's not. But then, and then, but if I think about it for a couple of minutes, for a little while, usually I get to a place where if, if it's valid criticism, I'm like, you're right. And I need to change that. Um, yeah. and that's, that's just the writing process. Yeah. That's funny. Well, I was um, at the end of the book here, there's a whole page or two actually of credits of people you thanked for helping you all the way through it. And I thought, wow, it took, you know, almost, you know, the takes a village standpoint, but you had 
you know, editors and people that you went to for information on water systems and, you know, the maps and yeah. Yeah. There, there was a lot of research and then there were a lot of early readers too. I think about, I think I gave it to about half a dozen people uh, for feedback. And it was really helpful. There were things, you know, there, that I never would have, I never would have seen or spotted that were um, invaluable. Yeah, that's always helpful. And I think constructive criticism is always helpful too. So I always have that knee jerk reaction to like, no, it's not, <laughs> no, it's you wrong, you know, but. Um, you no, know, it's incredibly important. Like being able to, being able to, to, because I can't always see the flaws in my own work, but, but being able to kind of, if somebody else points them out, internalize them and then keep doing the work to try to make something better is like, I think that really separates, you know, people who have shorter careers from people who have longer careers in some Yeah. Respect. Yeah. So have you had a lot of feedback on the book so far? Because there's a lot of similarities between, you know, last year with the pandemic and everything. But And you wrote this before the pandemic because, you know, you're inspired by your experience with Sandy. But have you had some feedback from people saying, whoa, this is very similar to what we experienced or... There've been there've been um, th there've been people who found it like a little too real mm. <laughs> and needed to needed to kind of stop reading. But it and it did get weird because I, I wrote it in two, in 2019 and we sold it right at the beginning of the pandemic. And mm. so I did do one more draft uh, post pandemic. But it was like you know there's a point in the book where where the Whole Foods gets looted and I you know again I live in downtown Manhattan and uh, when the, when the George Floyd protests started, there was some, you know, um, and those were, you know, they were largely peaceful protests, which, you know, my kids and I both participated in, but like, there was also in the first few days, there was some looting literally like two blocks away. Like, you know, where the first, the first couple of nights, like there was one night we were watching, we we're watching CNN and there was like a police car burning two blocks from us <laughs> and that was a little weird but i was like okay so this is a little bit it's a little close to the book it's not that close and then like i don't know if you remember like in august there was that thing in st right july or august there's that thing in st louis where the, the the couple was out in their lawn when he had an assault rifle yes yeah and and that was very i saw that i saw the images of that and i'm like that's super on the nose because there's a point at which an assault rifle comes out in a suburban context in, in my book too and then, um, then this winter, you know, there were the Texas water and power outages right. uh, during that big cold snap. And I was like, this is really on the nose. Maybe so you're like, psychic. Yeah. Well, it was almost like the, the plot was turning into a current events bingo card. It was, right. a, little, it was a little unsettling. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you're tapping into something when you're writing. I really hope not. I really yeah. Hope. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah, believe I have that much too. power. And God help us if I do. Yeah, yeah. And there was a there was a line in there in your book where someone says, You think the Democrats are responsible? And I just thought, whoa, okay, so that's also kind of close to how everything's been so polarized. Polarized. That was, the, that was the one sentence of politics that creeped into the whole thing. Yeah. I, I was otherwise very um I really did my best to, to make it to to keep, you know, any political discussion out of it. Uh, yeah, and that, that was the, that was the one aside, yeah, in, in yeah. 550 pages where I couldn't resist making that joke. 
You know, and I like that you did make the point that, you know, books can't be the same way as screenplays. So as I was reading this thing, I'm going, this is 550 pages. How would he turn this into a movie? How would he change it? What would Honestly, he do? Well, what's funny is like it, because I was thinking, um, I was thinking it, it would be a, a, a TV series. Oh. But I gave it to a, you know when I, I when I when we were sending it out to film producers the the reaction was more like structurally this feels like a movie, and I do think you know for as for as long as it is there's a great deal of like, um there's a lot of internal monologue going on there's a lot of stuff that would just would never appear in a film, that would just be backstory and I think actually if you strip it all down. It's a, to me, it's kind of, a, it's a relative. I, I mean, I say this, I'd probably now watch, I'll write a screenplay and I'll have to throw right. it off. Again. But it, it feels like it's got a three act structure and it would, there's, there's ways to kind of telescope parts of it that I think, it, I think you could make a movie out of it relative without too much heavy lifting. Yeah. And I like that you also have, um, I'm sure that you had to do some research on, you have a character with an alcohol problem. And, you know, last year with the pandemic, there was a lot of day drinking going on and not me, but um, I'm sure you had to do yeah. some research there, too. And so. Um, yeah. And, like that, that. and that was the thing, like I wanted to I wanted to really explore like that somebody who's kind of, you know, because I, sort of a, substance abuse occurs on a continuum. And there's you know, there are people who have issues with alcohol that are like literally like if they stop drinking, they'll, you know, they'll have seizures because they're so physically addicted to it. And then there are people who have problems that are, they're not physically addicted to it. They're able to stop for, for periods of, you know, days at a time, but they have a compulsion around it and it's causing problems in their life. And I wanted to, I wanted to sort of explore that kind of that gray area of like when you're, you know, you're drinking enough that it's causing problems in your life and you're having trouble stopping on your own, but you're not drinking so much that it is blatantly obvious to everyone in your life that you need to go to rehab. So it was, you know, again, it was, a, I, I wanted, I really, I wanted to explore that gray area. And it was yeah. also, you know, um, I mean, I take all of that very seriously. And I think the characters in the book are, are, you know, taking their own problems seriously. But I also, there was something very darkly funny to me about the idea of like, you know, somebody saying, okay, this is definitely the day I'm going to quit drinking. <laughs> Yeah. And then all the power goes out and civilization collapses. Right. So, boy, that's a really bad day to quit drinking. Yeah, right, right. Jen's internal monologue is some of my favorite in the book because, I mean, like you're saying, it is, it's a serious topic, but her internal monologue and thought process as she's going through there, as she's hiding things, as she's like having this square off with the skull-shaped vodka bottle, it's, it, you, you're a very good writer. Um, well, well, thank you. Well, and it's and it's also and she's deranged, but yeah. she's deranged in a way that makes internal that that she's able to explain it and rationalize it to herself. And right. I think that's the thing, you know, um, the, you know, the thing about about addiction is um, it, it, there's a part in your brain that's always telling you two plus two equals five, <laughs> and and it's and you can and you sit there and like you know and you and somebody who's in that situation will sit there and be like, no, two plus two is four. It's four. It's four. Maybe it's five. It's not. No, it's four. I mean, it could be five. It's no, it's four. It's definitely, four. but what if it's five? And then, you know, 
three hours later, they're drunk again. So it was right. like, that was a thing I, I really want, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to put a character like that in the book because it was interesting to me. And, and yes, it was definitely something I couldn't put into a middle grade. I knew a book for eight to 12 right. year olds right. because they're, they might be like that with video games, but they're not like that with a lot of other things yet. Yeah. So um, other than this amazing book that you just put out, what all do you have on the horizon for yourself for the next year? Are you doing virtual author visits um, or book events? Um, I don't have anything. The only thing I have on the calendar, I think, is the Morristown, New Jersey Book Festival in October, Yay. which is in person. Um, I'd be happy to do virtual school visits. So if you're a teacher or librarian and you're watching this, feel free to shoot me an email. Um, other than that, uh, I have the second book in, where is it? Um, this series, I don't know if it's if the, the, the camera is going to reverse it, but I, I, I wrote a, a children's book series with Kevin Hart, uh, the actor. Uh, the first book was called Marcus Makes a Movie. It's probably unsurprisingly about a kid who makes a superhero movie with his friends. Um, with They have no budget and they have no idea what they're doing, uh, but they get it done. And then, not to spoil the ending, but in the last, sort of the last page of that book, the superhero movie they've made goes viral. And so book two is called Marcus Makes It Big. It's about <laughs> everything that happens with Marcus and his friends after their superhero movie, you know, gets viewed by like millions of people in the space of a couple of days. And so that comes out at some point next year. And then uh, there may be more books in that series. Uh, and there may be other kind of things associated with it, although it's, I'm not really sure yet. It's still under negotiation. And then I'm writing, I'm writing another middle grade kids book, um, which might be my last one in that, in that space. I had like one, I felt like I had like what I felt was like one more really good idea for a middle grade kids book. And I'm writing that. Um, and then when I finish that, I think I'm going to write another novel for adults next. Cool. So. And I bet that it's really fun co-creating something with uh, Kevin Hart. He's fantastic. He's, he's, he's great. He's like really like, he's, he's always really positive. He's, you know, he's got great energy. He's the hardest working person I know. Like it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, like I, I follow him on Instagram and every three weeks he's announcing another project. I'm like, I, I, I like, I literally have no idea how he sleeps. Cause, and he's also like, and the guy's also like working out like a couple hours a day. Like he's really, and, you know, and he spends a lot of time with his kids. Like the, he spends, a, a, he spends enough time with his kids that like during the periods when we were working together, the most consistent interruptions were like his kids needed something. And he was constantly like getting on the phone and FaceTiming with them. And so he's like, you know, I don't know. I literally like, I have no idea how he manages all of it, yeah. but, uh, but he's been fantastic. It's been a really fun uh, process working with him. Yeah. I bet. I bet he's high energy and full of ideas and you guys probably have a great time bouncing things off of each other and yes, what a cool great. pairing. Well, that's awesome. Well, I um, thank you very much for being here today, and I hope that our listeners enjoyed our chat. And for those of you interested in picking up this book, they can get it on, well, basically just about anywhere where you can buy a book, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Ooh, look at us. Woo! Yeah, buy this book. Lights out, it. hmm? It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It's a great book. It's a fun read. And um, I highly recommend it. And 
Thank you, Jeff, for being here today. And I'm looking forward to seeing everything that you put out in the coming years. So awesome. Thanks a lot, Tracy. It was really fun to be here. Thank you. Bye.